0: Welcome to the Hope Fellowship Podcast, where you can listen to our weekly walk through the Bible. We do hope you enjoy your time with us today. Please check us out at HopeHogusville.com. And if you feel led to support our ministry, please click the link in this episode's description. Now here's this week's walk through the Bible. So Acts chapter 9, verse 31 says this, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. This was the kind of the outflow and the result of God continuing to build the church and he used Saul to continue to feed and to edify and to build up the body of Christ now that he was a believer. Now, let's go back to verse 19. In verse 19, it says, and he took food and was strengthened. This was right after he regained his sight, after being blinded on the road. And then he says, now for several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. Now, remember the disciples in Damascus, uh, they weren't really sure about Saul. You know, uh, God told Ananias um, in a dream, I'm going to send you a man named Saul. He's been blinded and uh, he has seen a vision about you and I'm going to send him to you and you're going to lay hands on him and he's going to receive the Holy Spirit and he's going to be baptized and he's going to uh, be a minister in the church. He is going to be one who will lead the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And Ananias had to remind God, hey, do you happen to know who this guy is? He happens to be the one who's been dragging people out of their homes and hauling them off to be killed in Jerusalem. And God was like, uh, let me remind you that I am the Lord and I am sovereign and I am in charge and I know who this man is now and he is not who you remember him to be. He is now somebody different. And uh, so now the church has welcomed, the church in Damascus has welcomed Saul into their fellowship. And Saul is in the fellowship preaching and teaching and boldly proclaiming Jesus. In verse 19, it says for several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues saying he is the son of God. Now that means that he didn't just stay among the disciples, among those who uh, now could support his new faith in Jesus Christ. He didn't just stay among the people who were patting him on the back and saying, welcome, brother, let's get you baptized. Let's get you plugged into the new believers class and uh, let's bring you over to our community group and have some fellowship, get some chicken and all the good things that we do together as brothers and sisters where he was he was welcome and he was being made to feel uh, um, uh, feel safe. And uh, he was being discipled and prayed for and encouraged by the brothers and sisters. It says immediately he went to the synagogues. Now, the synagogues were not just filled with believers in Jesus. Now, I believe that believers in Jesus continued to go to the synagogues to discuss the law of God and to discuss the word of God and to to discuss the truth. Although they uh, probably did not have a prominent voice in the synagogues. Uh, the people in the synagogues that were leading were the, uh, the religious teachers and those who were continuing to preach and teach Judaism. And uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and uh, people that had religious influence would have been the ones speaking up in the synagogues. The followers of the way, the followers of Jesus Christ would have been in a lot of danger if they had spoken up in the synagogues. Uh, There's a possibility that some probably did ask some questions and present some truth about Jesus. But Saul, it seems, immediately went to the synagogues and boldly began to proclaim Jesus, saying that he is the Son of God. This Jesus the Nazarene, whom whom was killed and and, uh, buried, that the followers of the way are claiming raised from the dead, rose from the dead, this Jesus is the Son of God. Now, he had a little bit of street cred in the synagogues. He was, a, he was a Pharisee. He was a very well-known Pharisee. He knew the law of God and he knew it well, and he was very respected as a religious leader. And all those religious leaders would have recognized him. So he had the ability to stand up in the synagogue and gain a little bit of an immediate respect. So they were listening to Saul but it didn't necessarily mean they accepted what Saul had to say because it wasn't long before they wanted to kill Saul just like they did any of the other blasphemers because now he was saying that Jesus was the Son of God. So he was preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. In verse 21 it says, And those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name? and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests. So all the people in the synagogues were like, wait a minute. Just the other day, you were dragging people off to Jerusalem to be killed for believing in Jesus, and now you're preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. Is this not the same guy? So they were kind of caught by surprise and standing in wonder at, what was going on in the mind of this guy? They probably thought he was crazy. This guy's lost his mind. He's been he's been chasing down all these believers, and they got to him. They messed him up. You know, they must have indoctrinated him and you know brainwashed him into believing now in Jesus Christ. He's an, he's just another one of them, and so now he is uh, causing these people to kind of wonder what's going on. Going on and in the verse twenty-two, it says. But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews. Now, that increasing in strength, I think, is probably more than just a physical strength. That means that he was increasing in his his understanding and in his knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the depth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because remember, when he started preaching and teaching, he didn't know a whole lot. He knew the law of God. Now he has just come to know Jesus Christ, and he's just beginning to put all the pieces together, all of his understanding of the Old Testament law. He's beginning to now, now see that through the light of Jesus, seeing all the prophecies about Jesus. He's now beginning to see them as fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So his understanding he is growing in and his knowledge he is growing in and his confidence and his strength and his understanding of the truth he's growing in, which means he's also being discipled by the believers around him who are continuing to pray for him and encourage him in the truth. And the spirit of God is daily increasing his strength and his confidence and his understanding. So with that, He is continuing to preach Jesus, and he is confounding the Jews, meaning that all of their understanding of the word of God and their supposed knowledge of the word of God, he is presenting enough of an argument that they don't have a response. They don't have an answer for why Saul might be wrong. He is actually presenting, to some extent, a convincing argument to these Jews. And they're kind of confounded because they don't really want to believe it, but they don't have a really good defense against it. And so then he says, uh, it says in verse 22, Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. So he was presenting proof, evidence that they couldn't deny. That's what you call apologetics. Apologetics simply doesn't mean to apologize. Okay. We apologize when we've sinned and when we've done something wrong, okay? That's something that we do. But, to, but apologetics is, means to give a defense. So he is simply um, standing firm on what is true and laying out facts in such a way that people could understand them and believe in them and in such a way that the truth is presented so that they could see the error of all the false teachings that they're believing in. And he's confounding the Jews. In verse 23, it says, When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul. So it didn't take very long before the Jews were working on finding a way to have him killed. All right. And uh, so then... their plot became known to Saul. So somehow Saul found out about it, maybe through the rumor mill, maybe somebody that was a believer overheard it and they came and told Saul. And then it says they were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. So they were watching the gates and they were watching the walls of the city and they were looking around because they wanted to find him. They wanted to make sure that he couldn't get out of the city without them catching him. So they'd already formed a plan to catch him and to put him to death. So in verse 25, this is what the disciples did. The disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. The, uh, the apostles, the disciples had heard about this plan to kill Saul. And so they had to, um, they had to come alongside of Saul and form a plan to rescue him and get him out of the city so that he could be safe. So they said, you know what? I think we found a little spot in the wall. There's a hole in the wall, There's a, or a window that seemed like nobody was watching. So they got a basket, they put him in a basket. I guess they tied it to a rope and they lowered him down through a window in the wall so that he could escape. So Saul escapes Damascus after preaching Jesus. So where does he go now? He goes to Jerusalem. But you have to remember that in Jerusalem, that's where it's kind of his his base of operations. That's where he he was dragging all the Christians off to Jerusalem to be tried and to be killed. Well, he goes, you know, the people in Damascus, if they're not going to be friendly to him, certainly the people in Jerusalem aren't going to be friendly to him either. But that's where the Lord led him to go. So let's look at verse 23. It says When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. So the first thing he tries to do when he gets to Jerusalem is look up the church. He's like, well, I need to find my brothers in Christ. I need to find my Christian family. I need to find the other disciples so that I could, uh, so that I can counsel them and so that I could be comforted by them and strengthened by them. And, but when he found the disciples, they didn't want to talk to him. And they didn't really want to tell him where their secret hiding places were. They didn't want to tell him where their churches were. And they weren't welcoming him in because... They thought it was a trap. They thought, well, he's just pretending to be a believer and he's going to find out where we all meet and then he's going to get uh, all the authorities to come and arrest us and haul us off to jail and have us tried and killed. So Saul is not welcome in our fellowship. He's not welcome to know who the believers are and he's not welcome to know where we meet. So they had kind of formed a little bit of an agreement amongst the church members there to make sure that we don't tell Saul what to do. But the Lord used Barnabas to come alongside of Saul and help the church recognize that Saul was not the same Saul that you knew before. He, in fact, is now a believer. I know, it's hard to believe that that guy who was once killing our brothers and sisters and and friends and family is now one of us. But he is. So in verse 26, it says, when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how Damascus, how at Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of of the Lord. So Barnabas kind of had to tell the story. Hey, he got the church together, said, listen, this guy, Saul, he actually is one of our brothers in Christ. He was in Damascus preaching Jesus until they all wanted to kill him. We had to help him escape through a basket in the wall so that he wouldn't be killed. And he was, he met Jesus on the road. The Lord appeared to him and gave him a vision. And now he's been, he's been saved. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit. He's been baptized and he's preaching and leading people to Jesus. He's one of us. And so then they accepted him, and he began to minister with them in Jerusalem, and he was preaching and teaching and going about boldly in the name of the Lord. So the same thing that he did in Damascus, he did in Jerusalem, boldly preaching of Jesus. Now, it does take a lot of boldness. Once you've been in a certain place, you know, I think sometimes when people want a fresh start, you know, you've got a, rep, you've got a bit of a reputation with everybody That, you know, you grow up in a certain place, and everybody knows who you are, and they know your life, they know your history, and you get saved. It would be kind of nice to just move, you know, (laughs) start over fresh as somebody completely different, you know. But he goes back to Jerusalem where everybody knows who he is, and he has to kind of face the music. He has to explain to everyone that that person that he was is not who he is now. And I think it's more than just an accident. It's not, to him, it's not... Facing the music as though he's done something wrong and now has to explain to everybody why he's done something wrong now He's proud to proclaim that he is a follower of Jesus Christ And he is no longer the man that he used to be and more than that He doesn't want to just explain that this is who he is he wants to try to help all of his friends and Allies that used to help him kill Christians He wants to help those people now see Jesus and see them come to know Jesus the way he sees Jesus So he is trying to evangelize them. He is boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, and they were attempting to put him to death. He was actually involved in a little bit of argumentative disputes about the theology of God and the theology of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes it is necessary for us to to work a little bit in helping people see the truth. It can sound and maybe even be sometimes a little bit argumentative. I think we need, we need to be very cautious with that, though. The Lord's told us that we always have to speak the truth, but we always speak the truth in love. So they sought to kill him. Verse 29, it says, And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. Again, the same thing as in Damascus. All the brothers in Christ came to him and said, Saul, listen, brother, you know, you are so bold with the gospel of Jesus. You've inspired us all, but you have to leave town. So because if you stay, they're going to kill you. All right. And... Uh, um, so they had to, the same as in Damascus, they had to find a way to help him leave. And so he goes to another town. But you know what's great about this is that every, t- every town Paul goes to and they attempt to try to kill him, God sends him to another place that needs to hear about Jesus. So Paul winds up going all over the world sharing Jesus and uh, making enemies all along the way. But he's also building up the church, which is really amazing. So then we get to verse 31 then we get to verse 31. It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace. Now, I don't, uh, it seems like maybe there's an implication there that because Saul was converted, there was a little bit of a lull in the persecution because he was kind of leading the charge on dragging people out of their homes to, to be killed. So it seemed like there was a little, you know, some of the uh, some of the Jewish people became focused on other things, other religious movements, and things like that. After all, most people thought that the followers of the way were just another religious sect. And so, some people like Gamaliel probably, you know, when uh, Gamaliel was talking about this um, with Peter, he was just kind of like, "Look, if it's of God, then." Uh, We don't want to be against it, but if it's not of God, it's probably going to fall apart and fade away. So why bother messing around with it? You know, so a lot of some of the Jewish people kind of had that attitude. So I think that this was an implication that as a result of Saul's conversion, the church enjoyed a little bit of a lull in the persecution. But then you see here, it says they were being built up now because of the work of Saul preaching and teaching, and also because of the way the church bound together and were continually devoted to the apostles' teaching, they were continually being discipled. So that is a quality of the church that has to be maintained. The church people must be discipled. They discipled one another, and they, which means they were listening to the teachings of Christ, they were studying the teachings of God, and they were devoted to them. And they, this caused an edification in the church, a building up unto maturity. So in this building up doesn't necessarily mean adding numbers. They, he does say that, but I think the building up isn't limited to just adding numbers. That's, a, that's an edification in maturity. Building up unto a maturity as is um, consistent with the character of Christ, as Paul says in the book of Ephesians. That's how we grow. We grow up to a place where we, where we begin to um, reflect the character of Jesus. That's Christian maturity. So that was taking place among the church. And it says they were going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And the church continued to increase. And that was the Lord daily adding to their number, people being saved. We heard about that in Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit came and the church began to grow, it has not stopped growing and people being added to their number. But what I wanted to kind of land on this morning, kind of highlight is this phrase that they were going about, going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Going on meaning that they were living in and continuing daily. They were going about their lives and how are they going about their lives? How are they thriving as a church? How are they going to endure the difficulties of the changing culture and the changing religious climate and the changing pressures of, of persecution? And then even new believers who used to persecute them that are now trying to be part of their fellowships. How are they going to navigate this on a day-to-day basis and survive? Well, he says here in verse 31, it says that they were going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now, the fear of the Lord, I wrote down just a couple of things that, to, to help describe what it looks like to live in the fear of God. What does it mean to fear God? There are multiple places in Scripture where it says, do not fear and do not be afraid. That is a theme. Lots of places in Scripture says, "Do not be afraid," but there are also many places in Scripture that highlight and focus on the need for all who love God to fear God. So, how do we do both of those things? And that's that is the reason for that is that the fear of God is not the same thing as being uh, being scared to death, um, or being or living with worry. Uh, the fear of God is is it's a consciousness of the holiness of God. It's a recognition that God is holy and we are not. So we, we come to know God and we know God's commands and we repent because we see the commands of God. It leads us in a life of repentance. So fear of the Lord is repentance in light of God's commands. The fear of the Lord is a desire to please God and to be right with God, a recognition that God is holy, and we need to be right with the holy God, and it spurs us on to desire to be right with the holy God. The fear of God um, is its worship from a sense of awe and wonder. Like we we have been so captured by the fact that God is wonderful, and that God is amazing, that it it causes us to fall to our knees and to worship and to praise. It's obedience by, that's driven by an understanding of God's authority. We recognize that God is God. He is the Lord of all. He is the highest of all authorities, and it compels us to obey. That's what the fear of God is. Uh, a scripture that I'd like to read uh, is uh, from Psalm 103, verse 8. It says this, The Lord is compassionate. And gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Now, the only way that can happen for God to not deal with us according to our sins or reward us according to our iniquities is if we're forgiven. That's the only way we can be treated by God. With this kind of compassion and loving kindness. The only way that can happen is if we are forgiven, is if we are covered by the blood of Jesus. When we know Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven of our sins. And the Lord can look at us and not deal with us according to our sins. He can deal with us according to the righteousness of God. The righteousness of Jesus. We can be treated and rewarded according to Jesus' righteousness, not according to our sins. He says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. For as far as the east is from the west, as far as he has removed our so far he has removed our transgressions from us, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. That's how much the Lord values the fear of the Lord, and here the church held that as a quality, and daily they walked in the fear of God, and the Lord was using the fear of God to hold them together and to sustain them through these kind of circumstances and to help them to endure the persecutions. It was the fear of the Lord and the Lord was using that to make them obedient so that they would be compelled to preach the word of God and so that more people could know Christ and be saved. And then we see the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We see the come they were continuing and they were going out and they were living in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. In John 14 John 14 verse 16 it says this. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Now that word helper means comforter. Uh, Helper and comforter that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be with you. So the Lord sent a helper, a comforter. Uh, and that's the reference to the Holy Spirit, that He will abide with us forever, that He is the Spirit of truth, and that we can know Him, and that He will be in us, because in verse 18 it says, He will not leave us as orphans. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God walking with us. And then in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. It says this, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us for groanings, too deep for words. So he sends us the Holy Spirit. He sends us our comforter, our helper, and he is with us, walking with us daily so that he will not leave us as orphans, and he holds us together. We don't even know how to pray for ourselves, but the Spirit of God intercedes on our behalf. That means he talks to God on our behalf because we don't when we don't have the words to say, he speaks to God for uh, on to he speaks the words that we can't speak. He knows what we need and he speaks them for us. He searches the hearts. He knows what the mind of the spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, meaning that for the believers, for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose, God works all things together for for good. So that is the comfort. So we have our comforter and the comfort. The comfort is that God is working all things together for good. So how does the Holy Spirit go about comforting us? How does the church go about daily walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit? That word comfort actually comes from a Greek word uh, that is, uh, uh, the word par- paraclete and uh, in John chapter 14 that word helper or that word comforter is the word paraclete and here in Acts chapter 9 when it says that the church was enjoying peace and being built up and going on in the fear of Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit that word comfort is the word uh, is a version uh, of the word paraclete as well now uh, comfort because it's the word paraclete it means more than just the way we hear comfort we hear comfort we mean feel good right? I need to be made to feel better. That's what it means to be comforted. I'm, I'm upset. I'm hurting. I need somebody to put a hand on my shoulder and say everything's okay, all right? We all need that at times, uh, but the word paraclete is, involves a little bit more than that. It's kind of two-folded. Um, one side of it is a reference to uh, someone that is called to or called along or sent to be alongside, so the Holy Spirit is sent to walk alongside us, and to walk with us throughout life. So he's called alongside, but it's specifically a word that brings with it the word advocate. Uh, and uh, Pastor Bill read that today, uh, in what, what scripture was that? First John two, 1 First John two one. and he spoke about the advocate that we have with the Father, and the Holy Spirit works out Christ's advocacy between us and the Father, and the Holy Spirit speaks to God on our behalf. He is our defender. He is is the one who pleads our cause. So on one hand, our comfort is the Holy Spirit making us right with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. But then on the other hand, he also teaches us and he reminds us daily of the things that we know and believe. He is our reminder. He is our teacher. He is our strength. And he is our comfort. In the English sense of that word, he comforts us. He does put his hand on our shoulder and remind us that everything's going to be okay. Yeah, you're going to endure some persecution. You might be killed, but everything's going to be okay. We have hope of eternal life. Yeah, we're going to have some bad days, but I'm with you and I'm walking with you. And he teaches us when we need to be taught. And he convicts us when we need to be convicted. And he reminds us when we've been sinful. And he shows us how we need to repent, and he leads us in that relationship of fear of the Lord. The Spirit of God enables us to fear God and help us walk in that way. So those are qualities that helped the church endure the type of things that they were dealing with immediately as believers in Jesus Christ. I kind of wanted to land on that this morning. I'd like to invite you to pray through those things. How would we navigate Constant changes in our culture, constant changes in the religious climate around us and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. What parts of our religion are culturally acceptable and what parts of our religion are no longer culturally acceptable? How do we navigate that? How do we navigate the different types of people that come to our fellowships and join us and, and, um, and are being saved How do we continue to stay in unity? And I I would encourage you to pray that God would give us the ability to build us up in the fear of God. That God would give us the ability uh, that he would lead us in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Pray for the church. Pray for us that all of us individually and as a body that God would lead us in that way. Because I believe that as a result, not just of Saul's preaching, that people were at being added to the church. I believe all of the believers were participating in this ministry and in this mission of preaching Jesus. So as we go forward preaching Jesus and testifying what Christ has done for us, pray that God would add numbers to our fellowship. Not just because we want to grow and be big and and Uh, you know, be awesome in the community or whatever. It's because we want to see people saved. We want to see lost people come to know Jesus. We want to see people that hate God come to love God. We want to see people that don't believe in God come to believe in God. We want to see people's hearts changed. Ask that the Lord give us boldness like Paul, that we would teach like Paul, that we'd proclaim like Paul, that we would maybe even argue like Paul sometimes. That we would, that we would preach Jesus, and be bold with it. Pray that God would lead us. And then I'd like to uh, just also say that if you're wrestling at all with your salvation, just notice the people of this story. See the testimony. These people believed in Jesus, and it changed their lives. It changed their hearts. It changed the way they see the world. If you're if you're wrestling with what you believe, and you. Be, believe that you are at war with God, you're living in sin against God, and you can see that, and you're feeling convicted about that, you're, you're feeling a sense of shame about that and guilt, that could be because the Holy Spirit is opening your eyes to see your need for Jesus. It could be that the Lord is drawing you to salvation, showing you that you need to cry out for salvation. I would encourage you to cry out to the Lord Jesus to save your soul and to add you to the number of his fellowship, to the church, to the body of Christ. Let's all pray together. Thank you for listening to this week's Walk Through the Bible with Hope Fellowship. I leave you with these words from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.